So often, I'm sure you do this, you have a patient who comes in and they start to doubt themselves and they start to be like, am I ever going to get well? And they start to get stuck in that feeling sick every day. You know what? I see the light at the end of this. Welcome to the Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Gray. My number one goal with the show is to help you discover your personalized plan to build your dream health and live a longer, happier, truly healthier life. Today, you are in for a real treat. You get to hear from Dr. Jill Carnahan, who is someone I've looked up to for years. She's going to share how to build resilience, how to overcome autoimmunity, cancer, and biotoxin illness, and how to use flow states for optimal health and performance. This is part one of a two-part series that is absolutely packed with gems. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of the Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast. Today, my guest is Dr. Jill Carnahan, who's a board-certified integrative holistic medicine specialist known as your functional medicine expert and often referred to as the Sherlock Holmes of medicine for solving the case of the most well-known medical mysteries. Utilizing state-of-the-art lab testing and biochemical analyses, she helps each patient identify the root cause of their illness by identifying nutritional or metabolic imbalances that may be contributing to their symptoms. Dr. Jill uses nutritional protocols and supplements, lifestyle changes, and medication to increase patient level function and always seeks the gentlest and least invasive ways to restore health and optimize healing. She has also sustained a five plus year waiting list as the medical director of Flatiron Functional Medicine, a widely sought after practice. As a survivor of breast cancer, Crohn's disease, and toxic mold illness, Dr. Jill brings a unique perspective to treating a variety of complex and chronic illnesses and has traveled the world sharing her knowledge of hope, health, and healing live on stage, as well as through newsletters, articles, books, podcasts, and social media. Her memoir, Unexpected, which I have right here, is out now, which is the highlight of our conversation today. So welcome to the show, Dr. Carnahan. Thank you, Dr. Gray. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm more excited than you. I told you, I've looked up to you for a long time. So happy to have you on the show. And I did read your entire book. And for the listeners, I'll just give them a little intro to this. So it's a cross section between a personal memoir about trauma, healing and recovery and a self-help guide designed to give practical advice for those seeking solutions to long-term chronic illnesses. It explores the role faith and spirituality can play in one's healing journey coming from a medical doctor who has diagnosed and treated countless patients suffering from life-altering disease and who has also suffered from great loss. And I'll tell you what, you had me at science and faith because early in your book, you talked about rock climbing and you said something, I might not get this right, but you said something like science and faith combined with experience form wisdom. That line just spoke to me. It was just such an eloquent line. And I thought this book's going to be good. She's speaking my language. And so I want to start there. Actually, I want to start with this rock climbing moment and kind of what you learned that day. So take us back there. Yeah. So, you know, the most profound moments in our life start very normally. I remember the alarm clock that day and it was like, okay, here we go. I'm going on a climb. Now, Did you climb before? No. (laughs) I've never even been in a rock climbing gym. So let me take you back three months prior. I was sitting in a coffee shop with my writing coach who helped me kind of outline the book and put together things. He's a rock climbing expert. So yeah. one conversation, we're talking about my life on the farm growing up. And he just like looks over at me and says, hey, Jill, you want to go on a rock climb? And I am one for an adventure. So I'm like, sure, sounds fun. Not yeah. having any clue. And the only thing he's like, I'll take care of the equipment. You might want to get your own shoes. So I go to REI, I pick out some shoes and we, that's all I had. So then we go to the base. And if you know Boulder, Colorado, there's these three iconic flat irons, actually maybe four, but there's these flat irons are this huge range. It's a foothills. It's right by Boulder. They look like that old iron, you know, flat iron that we used to use to iron clothes. 
And so this was the third flat iron that he was taking me to. We had to hike like an hour to get to the base. And then we get to the base and I look up and it's like a thousand feet up. Dun, dun, right dun. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, holy cow, what did I get myself into? And at the base, he literally, that was my lesson. 10 minutes. Okay, here's the carabiners. Here's what you do. You're going to have to basically, he was the lead. And so he would go and place the ropes and the safety. I don't even know the names of all these things. The things that would stick into the rock and hold the rope so that if he fell, he would fall. And my hold would pull, you know, hold him from falling. And the same thing for me. Yeah, he, yeah. Was, he would climb up and then I had to climb behind him and take these out of the rock and you know follow his lead. And my first, like I went up just a few feet and I like fell, scraped my hands, started bleeding. I'm like, oh no. And then I'll tell you what the important thing is. All of us have challenges in our lives and all of us have these things that we think we can't do. And this was literally a moment, like I told him I could, I made this commitment, I'm going to do this. But inside in my heart, deep, deep down there, I was absolutely terrified. And I think it might have been the most. Which terrifying. is normal, I would say. <laughs> and, and yeah, you're right. We normalize this. But like the thing is, we all, we all have fear. And bravery is not not doing those things. It's doing them despite the fear. Or it's not even not having fear. Actually, fear, like you said, is a normal response to something really challenging. Yeah. But what happened on this climb is it profoundly impacted my life in many ways. First of all, it was a metaphor for anything really, really hard. I had to stay so present looking right in front of me, looking for footholds and grabs. And these are like eighth of an inch sometimes to put your foot on and know you're on solid rock. And from a faith perspective, that was another piece of it. Like knowing there's a greater purpose and meaning and I have this like solidness in my life, Mm. my belief in something greater than me um, was part of that like foundation. If I looked back, which again, part of the lesson for life, I would get totally scared because I see thousands of feet down these little trees and houses. If I look too far up, I'm like, oh my goodness, I'll never make it. So I had to every moment just bring rain in my attention to the present on that rock. It's solid. I can do this. I literally would sing to myself and the other people probably thought I was crazy because there's other lines of climbers beside me, you know, maybe a few hundred feet away. And, but I literally to keep my stamina and faith up, I had to sing to myself. But all that to say, when I get to the top, literally three and a half hours later, sitting on top of that little, you know, crevice at the very top, there's a few other hikers and then we had to rappel down. I was like, oh my goodness, look what I just did. I cried. I was just yeah, like, oh, yeah. I can't believe I just did that. But what happened is one step at a time, yeah. being present every moment. And that became a metaphor for so many things I had experienced in the past and mm. so many things ahead. And probably the best thing I could tell your listeners, Dr. Gray, is we all have challenges. We either have just gone through something really difficult, we're in the midst of it right now, or it's coming up. Yes. Really, how do we deal with these really crazy, difficult things in our life? And a lot of it is presence, perspective, belief in something greater. These metaphors are actually really practical for life, right? Awesome. Awesome. So had you seen that view several times and did you ever know you would actually like climb up there? Like, had you seen that? Every day, older, yeah. I saw that view and never in a million years would I have said, oh, I'm going to be on that mountain one day and like climb to the very top. Well, and now yeah. driving by friends yeah. that come to town or my parents came a few weeks ago. I'm like, mom and dad, see that right there? I did that. <laughs> Heck yeah. Well, and I think that another cool part of that story is that your friend believed in you. He clearly had no concerns. He's like, let's go do this. You can do this. Okay. <laughs> Let me tell you about that because that's so important to our work as doctors. So first of all, Topher's his name. He literally told me later, he said, I looked at my hands. I have pretty big hands for a woman. And I was always really self-conscious of this. Mm-hmm. Like in surgery rotations, you get the glove size. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like an eight or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Like I had yeah, pretty yeah. big hands and I was so self-conscious of that. Uh, but he like, I looked at your hands and your arms and I'm like, she's strong enough to do this. And the importance there is he saw something in me that I didn't even see in myself and he mm. believed in me. 
And how it works for us as physicians that I think is relevant is so often, I'm sure you do this, you have a patient who comes in, they're discouraged. They've been to many other doctors. They have been you know, told that they're crazy and, and they have symptoms and they're not feeling well. And they start to doubt themselves and they start to be like, am I ever going to get well? And they start to get stuck in that feeling sick every day. And you and I can come in there and be like, you know what? I see the light at the end of this. I see that healing is possible. And I think sometimes it's our belief that they can become something different and become something healthier that actually buoys them up and encourages them. And I think that's one of the biggest things of what we do is that seeing what is possible in someone else and calling them out to that and then lifting them up and saying, no, you can do this, right? Yes. I, patients need someone who can believe in them. And I, that's great. Beautiful metaphors. Okay. I'm going to go to another analogy here. In, in my book, Your Longevity Blueprint, that my listeners have heard lots about, I compare our homes and how they're built to our bodies. And I explain how everyone needs a contractor, aka a functional medicine provider to help them repair and rebuild their health. And so I'm comparing in that book, a certain aspects of our home to organ systems in our body. And again, we t- we've talked a lot about this on the podcast, but there was a unique parallel within your book because you almost like chapter by chapter went through similar topics as I did. And so I want to be able to break that down and the listeners see it from your perspective a little differently. But before we get there, I want to go back to kind of explain again and hear from your definition what functional medicine is. So as a functional medicine practitioner, like why is functional medicine important? And really, what is your definition of that? Yeah, so so often in traditionally trained medicine, we are told to get it like as a physician, I'm taught in medical school to get a label, a diagnosis, an ICD-10 was nine and before that. And it's this label that describes your set of symptoms. It's very appropriate because it gives us a map of what describes what you're experiencing. And then we know based on that diagnosis and code what to do for treatment. Mm -hmm. However, most of the treatments in conventional medicine are drugs and surgery. Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with that. There's a perfectly appropriate place for those interventions. But our toolbox as function medicine practitioners is way bigger. We have lifestyle, diet, relationships, purpose and meaning, and other kind of biohacking things like ozone or hyperbaric oxygen. And so the toolbox, number one, is bigger because we're looking at all the things that can take your trajectory as you're walking along the road going towards diabetes and reverse that track so you walk the other way. And you can actually, Mm -hmm. in the model function medicine, you don't just get a label and get stuck with that label for life. We say, well, what caused that? What happened? Antecedents, triggers, mediators, things that caused you to walk this way. And then we try to find a way to reverse your trajectory. And we do that through looking at root cause. We look at what led to this condition or outcome or label. And I know you've seen this and I, I have lived this, but things that are considered irreversible, like Crohn's disease or other autoimmune diseases, you and I, I'm sure, have seen those cases where they are completely reversed. And that's like in conventional medicine, not even considered. Yes, that's why we love functional medicine. Yes. And that's why functional medicine is the best for chronic ailments. More in, I know the listeners know this, but just to explain to you in my book, I more describe conventional medicine as being the fire department. They're here to put up big, bad, ugly fires, and their two tools are that axe and a hose. And that's great for acute care. And that's more what insurance may cover or contribute to. Functional medicine is, is just different, right? That's more for chronic illness. And like you said, our tools are different. Hello, all you beautiful people. Eric Gray here with the Integrative Health and Hormone Clinic, Iowa's premier functional medicine clinic. 
Did you know that you can not only be a dedicated listener of the Your Longevity Blueprint podcast, but also a patient of the Integrative Health and Hormone Clinic? Yes, that's right. Join thousands of patients who have discovered the root cause of their fatigue, bloating, weight gain, or hormonal imbalance and are living their best life today. Just visit IHHclinic.com to fill out our new patient paperwork online and schedule a discovery call with myself to learn more about how we can help you. Also, I hear almost every day about how much you all love the podcast. So we'd appreciate it if you can spread that love by leaving a five-star review wherever you are listening. We appreciate you. Wellness is waiting, folks. So I'm going to kind of break down some of these sections or categories or chapters here and get your opinion. So in chapter one of my book, Your Longevity Blueprint, I'm comparing the foundation of the home to the gastrointestinal system in the body. And I'm sure you agree that our gut is a foundation of health. And as you shared in your book, you've had several challenges with your gut health. So can you share with us how gut health relates to full body health? And I've, again, I've asked other guests this, but I want to hear from your perspective, given the diagnosis that you were given. So real briefly, I grew up on a farm, lots of pesticide chemicals, and I had a weakened kind of immune system, didn't know this. And so those things led to cancer diagnosis, breast cancer at 25 got chemotherapy, radiation, all kinds of treatment. And that was actually super toxic to my gut. And then six months later, now I don't regret that it saved my life, but the truth is super toxic, right? But those drugs created a much more permeable gut lining. And this is our interface to the world. This is where the gut comes in. Our interface to our environment, chemicals, foods, whatever, is our gut lining or tube. And the microbiome diversity, the kinds of microbes that are there, the permeability of our gut, the health of the contents of our gut have a huge impact on our system because this is the interface that talks through the bloodstream to our Mm -hmm. immune system. We have something called neuroendocrinology or neuroimmunology and all these things where we combine the brain and the gut and the nervous system and the immune system and they all talk together. So the gut tends to be this like great conductor of business in many parts of the body. And so what happens in your gut doesn't stay in the gut. It affects the immune system. It affects the brain. It affects the cardiovascular system. It affects the liver and the gallbladder. Which is also something different in functional medicine is that we're actually seeing those relationships and those interfaces versus conventional medicine, I feel like is more fragmented. You see this specialist for this and this specialist for this and this specialist for that, where you're literally tying everything together. So I cut you off. So keep going. going. Perfect. 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 (laughs) It is. It's all silos, right? Mm -hmm. And I think this is, if you're listening out there and you've been, you know, tossed around from referral to referral, it's great because you can go to specialist rheumatologists and a neurologist and a gastroenterologist, but often they're not really communicating about your health overall. Like it'd be great. Like Mayo clinic has a model where all the docs really, really talk. That's one thing they have really well going for them. But in general, I hear over and over and over again from my patients, like, oh my gosh, I saw this doctor. They didn't talk to this doctor. They're both saying two different things. So one of the things with functional medicine is you and I can play quarterback and we can kind of look at these teams and look at the often have them being seen by specialists. But I'm looking at all the details and helping the patient pull together their story because when a patient understands what's happening to them and understands their own story, all of a sudden they become empowered to play a part and active role in that story. Yes. What are some of the top gastrointestinal concerns you see in your patients? So for the listeners, like what symptoms might they be experiencing from a gastrointestinal standpoint or even an autoimmune standpoint? How would someone know if they have an autoimmune disease like what you had? Yeah. So first things are obvious, like diarrhea, constipation, and people don't know what's regular. They're like, well, I've always gone to the bathroom once a week. Well, that's not, not normal. normal. <laughs> <laughs> right? So having regular bowel movements at least every day, maybe more than once a day, form stools, that's key. Heartburn, um, reflux, indigestion, diarrhea, gas, bloating, those are not normal. 
And most people who have IBS, I think it's about 33% of the visits to a primary care office are related to the gut. And they just think that's normal or they have to live with it. But that's not true. And so these kinds of things. But even outside of that, if you have unexplained joint pain, inflammation symptoms, or even brain fog or focus concentration or mood disorders, sleep disorders, We know that those coatings of bacteria, they're called LPS, that sneak outside the gut into the bloodstream are one of the main causes of depression, anxiety, bipolar, Mm. schizophrenia, and even insomnia. So if you're having mood disorders, I remember years ago when I first started, I have college kids come in and be like, I'm having depression, I'm having anxiety or ADD. And part of the workup would be we need to do a stool test. And they would look at me like I'm crazy. (laughs) Why do you need my stool from this? But that's exactly the reason because What's happening in your gut has everything to do with your mood and your brain and those outside the gut kind of functions. So can you tell us, obviously, listeners need to read your book to hear the whole story. But can you tell us in short kind of how you were able to heal your colitis? How did you heal your gut? Yeah. So like I said, and the, the predisposing factors, because I always put together the story, right? Yes. Were, yes. Uh, I had celiac, was not diagnosed, didn't know it. And at the age of 14, probably because I was zinc deficient and also hypochlorhydric, which means I didn't produce a lot of stomach mm-hmm. acid. I didn't really like meat. So I stopped eating meat. I became a vegetarian at 14. And then you're amino acid deficient. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And already zinc deficient yeah. and already, you know, B12 deficient and unbeknown celiacs. So I went on probably the worst diet for me and my genetics. And again, I grew up in a farm, you know, steak and potatoes kind of family. So everybody thought I was crazy. So from 14 till 25, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I was on this vegetarian diet, but it was really more like carbitarian. I didn't know how to eat healthy. So I was eating a lot of carbs and a lot of gluten. And mm-hmm. I say that because I didn't know I had celiac, but that gluten was continuing to create inflammation. Then you get chemotherapy, which actually induces leaky gut dumping contents. Mm-hmm. And six months after the chemo, um, I was in the hospital for an abscess and I came out of that surgery. And the doctor said, Jill, you have Crohn's disease. So Crohn's is an autoimmune disease where the body attacks the gut lining. And part of that was because the permeability, the unbeknownst gluten sensitivity, and then a weakened immune system and all those things I mentioned. So what I had to do is first like figure out what to do and talk to the Mm -hmm. gastroenterologist. He's like, Jill, you're going to need lifelong immune modulating drugs. Let's start with steroids. And you're probably going to have part of your colon removed. And as I left the office, I had one question. I was like, can I do anything with diet? I was totally sincere. I just thought, you know, whatever I can do with foods, I'll do that. Mm -hmm. He said, Jill, diet has nothing to do with this. And this is where I had to go from my brain of like listening to the doctor. And I'm a medical student, but I still I was just going to say, where were you in your journey at this point? You're in medical school. I was third year medical school. Actually, okay. I just finished third year. I was in my fourth year after um, uh, like first year rotation of fourth year medical school. So I knew a little bit, but I didn't know enough to be like, oh, he's wrong. But intuitively, right? right? This intuition was like, wait, that can't be right. Diet in the gut does, has nothing to do with it. So I kind of went on a tangent to prove him wrong. And I did the research and ended up finding Elaine Gottschall's specific carbohydrate diet. She wrote a book about it Mm -hmm. years and decades Mm ago. And I thought, well, what do I have to lose? I mean, if it doesn't work, no big deal. So I went on my diet. I changed my diet. And I knew, Dr. Gray, within two weeks, I had no more fevers. I had no more pain. My bowels were starting to form. I was not healed in two weeks. It took years. And I'll tell you You were on the right track. Yeah. Yeah. But I was like, diet does have something to do with it because my symptoms went away. And that was a really big aha because I realized, wow, food is medicine. It really does have a lot to do with it, even though my doctor said it doesn't. So then what I did is I looked at the microbiome, the inflammation, the leaky gut. I looked at, I had SIBO and SIFO. I treated those bacterial and fungal overgrowth. Later found out I had immune deficiency, which also contributed to the SIBO and SIFO. I think I maybe at one point had Giardia. Yeah, I did because I had gone to Honduras. And so multiple infections. Yeah. First treat, kind of like the 5R program. You treat the infections. 
And then over the years, I've just restored the integrity of that gut lining through butyric acid and non-inflammatory foods and glutamine and spore probiotics. So I just added those things in. And even today, I live what I preach. I eat a really clean anti-inflammatory diet. I take spore probiotics and do all the things. And I've stayed maintained completely free of Crohn's ever since maybe a few years after my diagnosis. Does your doctor know? I always wonder, obviously, that was years and years and years ago. But my patients who get better, part of me wants them to go back to their doctor to say, look, proof this worked. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny, like, I don't even remember now, like what his name was. I was in medical He's probably school. not even in practice. <laughs> I know. Someday he'll hear some, maybe, or maybe he already has yeah. a copy of my book to him. <laughs> yes, you should. You should. Okay. Moving right along. In, in chapter eight of my book, I'm comparing the protective roof of our home to the immune system and the body kind of echoing yeah. off what you're already saying here. And that's titled maintaining roof integrity, treating underlying infections and strengthening your immune system. This is a chapter I get into biotoxin illness, which you've also had, which I want to get to. But first, you've already shared so much of your incredible story. I want to go back to your breast cancer story, because I was shocked to hear how young you were when you were diagnosed. So can you expand a little bit on that, that shocking diagnosis, and then kind of how you recovered from that? Yeah, so... 25 years old. And again, now it's like, just like, really? That's crazy. And to put it in perspective, now since then, you and I have both heard of people in their 20s and even like 16 or 18. Sadly, yep. So sad. But at that moment, 2001 in at Loyola in Chicago, where I was diagnosed, I was the youngest they had ever, like I made a statistic at Loyola because I was the youngest they'd ever diagnosed. Yeah. And I remember the tumor board, which was a group of oncologists and doctors that met for these interesting cases. Well, I was the interesting case. So I was on the tumor board meeting of what do you do with Dr. Jill? I wasn't Dr. Jill at the time. I was just Jill. <laughs> um, and so what do we do? And they were very aggressive because of my age. And so yeah. even though the stage wasn't super advanced, the, the characteristics of the cancer cells were as aggressive as you could possibly get. It was ERPR negative, HER2 positive, and incredibly high grade, like as bad as you can get. So they gave me everything in their arsenal, which was three drug chemotherapy and radiation and multiple wow. surgeries. So that's the treatment. But back to, okay, then you and I say, well, why did this happen? Right. Well, we know that cancer cells, the damaging of DNA that starts to go into proliferation can happen even decades before the tumor. So you take 25, you go back, you know, 10 or five or whatever. I believe there was a couple of things. I believe my mother had a toxic load. She uh, never really complained, but she had chronic migraines, chronic fatigue, thyroiditis. Sure. And uh, of course, I grew up on a farm and some of the farm chemicals, organophosphates, and especially one called atrazine. Atrazine is an unknown endocrine disruptor. It acts like hormone on the body. And so our cells, like our breast cells and in men, prostate cells or uh, endometrium can have these triggers that are a chemical that the body thinks is a hormone and so starts to trigger that growth in the vision. I remember literally 10 or 12 years after my diagnosis, I was reading and understanding how toxic atrazine was. And I called my dad and I said, dad, this is horrible. You know, when was it banned in the US? And he's like, no, Jill, it's still being used. And it just so happened the same year I was diagnosed, 2001, the European Union banned the use of atrazine like it should, right? Mm -hmm. But we still today, 20 plus years later, are using atrazine in Illinois. And I remember looking at the map of usage of atrazine and the hottest, brightest spot in the whole U.S. was right where I grew up, right in central Illinois was like bright red. And I had this for the listeners in Iowa. A lot of my listeners are in Iowa. We're bright red. Also, we're right there. We're right up there with Illinois. But yeah, so corn and soybean, you <laughs> yeah. know, Iowa yeah. and Illinois, it's like yeah. it's still used today. The good news is because of my cancer diagnosis and the understanding of how chemicals were affecting human health and people like myself, and I don't know if I mentioned this in the book, but my sister at 28 was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. So two girls, same farm, same environment, similar genetics. 
both endocrine related cancers. Yeah, yeah. Out there was an environmental impact. But all that to say, my my family because of that has gone completely non GMO and all the crops the corn soy. Yep. Yeah, and part of it's um, organic, which is really hard to do with central mm-hmm. like corn. Takes time too. Yep. As we enter flu season, I'm super excited to share that we are finally launching a comprehensive immune support product. It's called Immune Support, and it's a targeted blend of nutrients designed to provide a broad spectrum support to the body's immune reserves to keep you healthy and functioning at your best, despite the increased risk of seasonal illness during this time. The formulation includes quercetin, a powerful bioflavonoid that aids in supporting the immune system. Next, it includes vitamin C and N-acetylcysteine as potent antioxidants to promote respiratory function and support the function of quercetin. And lastly, it has vitamin D3 and zinc, which are important micronutrients needed to create a robust immune reserve. This blend includes all of the above, 600 milligrams of vitamin C, 2,500 IUs of D3, 25 milligrams of achelated zinc, 600 milligrams of N-acetylcysteine, and 250 milligrams of quercetin are in two capsules. And this product was formulated with those dosages in mind to be safe for those that are pregnant or lactating. If you want more, however, you can easily double the dose of the product, and it can also be combined with your daily complete multivitamin or my favorite product, mitochondrial complex. Research has shown that those taking this blend of nutrients fare much better with illnesses like viruses, making this the perfect time of year to stock up on immune support. In addition to being a fantastic option for anybody looking to boost immune reserves and support a healthy immune response, a bottle of immune support would fit perfect in your loved one's holiday stocking. Use code immune support for 10% off at yourlongevityblueprint.com. Now back to the show. So what are some of the other top toxins our listeners should be avoiding? So obviously yeah. we should be eating organic, non-GMO food, trying trying to avoid the atrazine, the pesticides, herbicides, whatnot. But what are some other toxins you talk about in the book that listeners could be and should be avoiding? Yeah. So we have endotoxins and exotoxins. Exotoxins are those outside of us, which is most of our conversation here. And those would be things like parabens. Those are plastic mm-hmm. softeners and things and phthalates. Those two are very common in um, makeup, bath and body products, hand sanitizers, different things that we use day to day. So where I would start and where I started once I found out that, oh, chemicals could have affected my breast cancer. Mm -hmm. I went to Environmental Working Group, which is EWG.org. It's a nonprofit that lists some of the top toxins. And you can look up their beauty database on beauty products and things and see what your rating is for what you're using. I will just say the commercial products, I won't mention brands, are pretty toxic. So Mm -hmm. you really have to think about the kinds of off brands. Now they're becoming more common. So you can go to Safari or any of those places and get some non-toxic brands, but you really want to look at what's in the things you're putting on your skin. And that's what I started with. So sunscreen, um, makeup, lotions, even bubble bath, you know, things that are happening. I'll just give a personal opinion. I love Epsom salt baths. Take one almost every night. Plain Epsom salt is really great. And no toxins. It's really good for detox. No fragrance, you know. But, but a lot yeah. of times, <laughs> I would get some with like a lavender fragrance. And I looked at it, it's like, it's paraben based. It's a fragrance that's artificial. And I tested on my urinary toxins. It's all those phthalates up. And I'm like, where am I getting that? It was my bath because I was using salt that had fragrances. Yeah. So be sure to do things like that. Um, so bath and body products, um, air, um, scent, like the plug-in air fresheners and things, those are VOCs, volatile organic compounds, formaldehydes, and different things. And those go right into our lungs and get absorbed immediately because they're so small. And then things like hydrocarbons, like from charbroiled meats or blackened, you know, salmon or swordfish, those are really harmful and carcinogenic. PFA, so polyfluorinated compounds, is like your Teflon Gore-Tex. It's all the water perfume for camping and hiking and outdoors. 
but it's also a lot of the coatings of our pans. And, and air eating. fryers. I was very sad yeah. to hear. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and takeout. How many of us nowadays get takeout? Even good, clean food. Those containers they put takeout in are made to not leak oils and they're coated with PFAOs. And the reason this is important is like these are forever chemicals. So they're right. going to be... Scientists can't even calculate the half-life. And recently in Colorado, last summer, they tested water supplies. 100% of the water tested had PFAOs above the legal limits in them, which means right now, this moment, there's an issue and it's yeah. only going to get worse. And you what are you going to do about that? What's the, what is the solution? How do you yeah. filter that out? How do you, I don't. So a good carbon filter will filter about 80 to 90% and a reverse osmosis is the best. So if in your house, you need to have clean air, clean water, clean yes. This is one of those things I talk all the time because we can have all the supplements and expensive protocols in the world, but everybody has access to uh, do simple things for clean air, clean water, clean food. Clean water includes having a filter, either countertop, fridge filter, or ideally a whole house filter for your water that you drink and bathe in and cook with. Absolutely. Okay. What about EMFs? Any tips for reducing EMFs as another toxin in this category? Oh, huge. People don't think about this like, oh, I'm fine because you don't feel it. Well, more people, first of all, we have more and more and more of EMFs in our environment. So the router in your house, a household router. And there was a study that showed household router increased. Say there was a little bit of mold in your house. If it's uh, unprotected, that mold will increase the production of mycotoxins, which cause illness by 600% in the presence of EMFs. So it might also be, I've seen people with maybe sinus colonization, they feel worse in EMFs, not because their body's being bothered. It's because the mold in their body. The mold, yep. So EMFs are real common. You can get, if you ever want to check your house, usually a building biologist is someone who has a degree that can come in and check. Um, I just took it to work, but normally right here beside me, I have an EMF meter that I bought online for two or $300 where I can mm-hmm. actually check different parts of my house. For example, my Sonos speaker system, love it. I love to stream music in my house and my work, but my Sonos speakers put off an astronomical amount of radiation. And I've been thinking lately, I need to wire this or change it. Same with your Wi-Fi and same with if you have cordless phones, which most of us don't anymore. And of course, cellular phones, you need to have protected devices on your cellular phones. I have a little tiny device right here called an Aries Tech that is one of those things that will protect EMFs. And there's many, many others out there, but you need to think about protection. I also have another device here. I'll show you real quick because it's fun. It's like, I call it the alien, but this is another device you can have in your house that protects from EMFs. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, I have a safe sleep case on my phone and we shut off our Wi-Fi every night. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard, especially when you're working, unless things are, what do yes. you want to call it? Like you're connected to the wall. What do you call that when it's grounded or whatever? Wired, yeah. Wired. yeah. Yes, unless it's wired. Everything is wireless these days. It is. Her journey sounds so rough, but also so beautiful. And that all she has learned, she's been able to share with her patients and with clinicians like myself worldwide. That 5R program she referenced is well discussed in my book, Your Longevity Blueprint in Chapter 1, page 17. So be sure to refer to that. And remember how she opened the interview sharing that bravery is doing something despite the fear. I encourage this week that you take whatever steps you need to in your life, despite that fear you may have inside you. Be sure to join us next week when we talk all things biotoxin illness, specifically mold and Lyme, and she'll talk about the importance of your flow state and of curiosity. See you then. Be sure to check out my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. And if you aren't much of a reader, you're in luck. You can now take my course online where I walk you through each chapter in the book. Plus, for a limited time, the course is 50% off. Check this offer out at yourlongevityblueprint.com and click the course tab. One of the biggest things you can do to support the show and help us reach more listeners is to subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. 
I do read all the reviews and would truly love to hear your suggestions for show topics, guests, and for how you're applying what you learn on the show to create your own longevity blueprint. This podcast is produced by Team Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, wellness is waiting. The information provided in this podcast is educational. No information provided should be considered to be or used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always consult with your personal medical authority.